0: Welcome to Influenced by Kurosawa, where we're exploring films inspired by the legendary Japanese director Akira Kurosawa. Today, we're riding into the 1960 film The Magnificent Seven. I'm your host, and I love it when a plan comes together, and then falls apart, and then comes together again, Hmm. and such, and so on. My co-host is Guy, who for some reason said yes when offered $20 to do this podcast. (laughs) So here we are. You know, we've watched um, Seven Samurai, one of the, which many people put on the best films ever list. I think it wasn't quite as high as that for you, but I think you and you enjoyed it, right? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, it was, I enjoyed it, definitely.
0: Basically, what happened is that came out, and some people in Hollywood saw it and said, "We got to do a, an American version of this," and they bought it for a few thousand dollars, you know, (laughs) it was kind Mm. of, kind of ridiculous, but what they had seen was actually an edited version because the, the Japanese version or, you know, seven samurai was released in the U S as, and it was called the magnificent seven. Mm. It was significantly edited down, you know? And so this film was closer to the edited down version, uh, Mm. that was, that was seen here. We'll see how that goes. Uh, because uh, what it's almost like three and a half hours, and this is you know a little over two hours, so oh, yeah, a lot of uh, time chopped off. And I mean, the cast, I and mean, you know, we'll go through the characters as we get there. It was Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, James Coburn, Robert Vaughn. I mean, you know, there, you know it's just like a, <laughs> uh, a pretty big cast, oh, yeah, that. big name cast and the music was done by Omer Bernstein, and, and that's as well or more well-known than the movie itself. <laughs> so. Oh,
1: yeah, it's been, yeah, it's it's been, I think it was used in Marlboro commercials for a while <laughs> back in the day.
0: Well, let's kind of, you know, dive in, and, and rather, I mean, what we have often usually done is kind of go through beat by beat on a film, but since our whole purpose here is to contrast the film it was inspired by, you know, we're kind of walk through the chunks of the plot, but we're not going to go, like, moment by moment. Yeah. This film starts out in a Mexican village. The bandits come into the village. This is a little different than Samurai, right? Because what we saw with Samurai was we first see the bandits. They are near the village, and they're contemplating attacking it. And the leader says, oh, we just, you know, took all their stuff a little while ago. We should give them a little more time to replenish their supplies. And
1: yeah, they, they figure they'll come back at the harvest season, but, uh, but there's one of the villagers who's right nearby, sort of camouflaged in a wood pile and he overhears right. them.
0: So in this film, it, what they do is, is they make it much more direct, right? The, the villain named Calvera played by Eli Wallach. And, uh, he's, he's someone, I've, he's just one of those people you see in a lot of films. And, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is kind of out of character for him, but it, uh, he does a really good job in it. Yeah. And so he and his band come into the village and, you know, just start taking chickens. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he, you know, he's shows how rude he is because he just comes to a person's house and says he wants a drink and walks in, you know, and takes one and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, so he makes it clear that he's going to be coming back. And as he says later in the film, you know, his perspective is the villages are sheep and sheep are meant to be sheared. And this is just the way, the way of the world.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So, uh, you know, just like in seven samurai, the villagers go to the old man of the village. Although this guy is not as old an old man. as the guy in samurai. I mean, the guy in samurai looked like he was about 120. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Although this guy's at least he's supposed to be the character is supposed to be at least eighty three. Yeah, because he says that's when uh, he lost his interest in
0: women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't think he looks that old, <laughs> but uh, I think yeah. he looks more like he's like mid sixties or something. But you know, yeah, just like in Samurai, he tells them to go and get some gunfighters to to help defend them.
1: Yeah, he suggests guns first, uh, yeah. but the guns. Would be more expensive than just hiring guys with guns. <laughs> so they end up
0: doing that. Yeah. And later on, I mean, one of them mentions my bullets are gonna be more expensive than the pay on this. And nobody ever thinks about that, but bullets are do have a cost to them. <laughs> oh yeah. Some of the people from the village go to a town and try to to try and find some some gunfighters. And what we see here then is Yul Brynner, and he plays a character named Chris Adams, but so I'm probably just going to call him Yul Brynner because I oh, cannot shoot. see him that way. Yeah. And the funeral director is trying to, he has, uh, there an Indian died, and the funeral director is trying to get him delivered uh, to the graveyard and buried, but he can't do it because there are racist people in the town and they're going to shoot anyone who tries to do this.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, a guy passing through town who who wants to give the undertaker money to handle the funeral, but the undertaker says, "Yeah, sorry, I can't take the money because these other people don't want it.
0: Yeah. So Yul Brynner over overhears this, and he says he'll do it. Uh, he'll he'll drive the the body. It's kind of it's a hill, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's Boothill Hill is where they're taking him. Yeah, the
0: road to it goes uphill. Steve McQueen joins J- Yul Brynner. They don't know each other, but they're both kind of the, you can tell they're both kind of the same person. They've both had a lot of experience. They're both very competent. And as soon as they meet each other, they kind of bond. Yeah. And so um, Yul Brenner is going to do the driving of of this uh, stage coach and, and Steve McQueen gets in. <laughs> he says, I've never done shotgun on a... Um, on a hearse before. And it's funny cause it, every once in a while I just had to remember what something means, right? Like riding shotgun literally means he'd be the one who was holding the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they, um, make their way to the cemetery and people start shooting at them and they shoot back. And, um, one of the, uh, Things that, that I understand about guns at this point is, you know, you have the, the movie thing, and they do it a lot in this movie, right, where you fan the gun, where you keep um, mm. pulling back yeah, the hammer single and action. shooting a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, nobody does that. You can't hit anything if you're fanning the gun. Because <laughs> if, <you're, laughs> if you're fanning the gun, you're hitting the gun in your hand, which means you're moving it, which means you're not going to have any aim whatsoever. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Uh, but it looks cool in movies. So, I mean, but let's talk about the, you know, the actors and characters here. I mean, Brenner Brynner, um, he was already a star and he, he made his reputation on The King and I, you know, which was this stage thing, which he did just mm. thousands and thousands of performances of, you know, over the decades. And in the meantime, you know, he became a, a movie star. This was his first Western film. He did more later. Uh, yeah,
1: he is... uh he has one particularly good one that we've discussed on this show a, a few times, which
0: is, of course, Westworld. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I was introduced to him as a kid, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, he would have trouble on set sometimes because he was both very professional and had a strong will. And, you know, this would <laughs> get on some people's nerves. I don't know exactly the details of that, but uh, but apparently yeah. everybody respected him for working real hard on his job. Hmm. So the weird thing with Steve McQueen is he really wanted to be in the film, but he was on a TV show and they wouldn't let him take the time off. So Ooh. so he was a race car driver, so he staged a car accident and <clears throat> claimed that he couldn't work because of he had whiplash, and then he went and did the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Pierce Brosnan wished he had done that. I remember when, um, when they originally wanted Pierce Brosnan for James Bond, he was on the TV show Remington Steel, which mm. is something I liked as a kid, you know, and mm. they wouldn't let him go. And so he lost the, the James Bond role mm. and then got it years later. Mm. But apparently he wasn't as creative about these things. <laughs> <laughs> So funny thing here, you know, we because of course these days all podcasts are just you know reading whatever uh, Chat GPT uh, generated for you. I have these conversations with Chat GPT to get ideas for what to talk about, and and this um, scene of taking the the hearse, you know, with the Indian to to the cemetery. Chat GPT said, "Well, this has no." corollary and seven samurai it's a it's a you know unique scene in this movie and then i was thinking hmm. about it i was like wait a second that's not true <laughs> and i had to, a little debate uh with chat gpt well let me i'll so i'll challenge you uh can you think of a scene in seven samurai that was sort of the equivalent of this um
1: well i i i'll I have to admit that I already read ahead in your notes, so uh, I think I know the
0: scene. (laughs) It's just one flaw in my plan, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, they did something very different but still very similar, which is that when we see, you know, the leader, who's going to be the leader in Seven Samurai, who's the equivalent of the Yul Brynner character here, the first time we see him, he is shaving his head and putting on monk's robes he's he's you know diminishing his status in a serious mm-hmm. way so that he can trick his way in to where a thief is holding a mother and a son hostage and and he then goes in and you know manages to dispatch <laughs> the the thief And it's, it's similar in a lot of ways because it is the first thing we see him doing. It shows that he has, you know, character um, and integrity. He puts himself in danger and he reduces his status. Now they don't really reduce their status in this, but they do. It's all the same thing, right? I mean, there's a bunch of racists who are going to shoot at them if they do this and they decide to do it anyway. And it's Mm -hmm. the first thing we see. And it's the first thing, it's what the villagers see that make them realize that these are the people they want to hire
1: yeah interesting side note or i found it interesting uh the first episode of deadwood has a similar scenario with seth bullock and wild bill Hickok, where they become sort of fast friends because they are the people who are willing to ride out of town and look for this uh family that was waylaid by bandits So it's kind of a similar way of opening it. Now that I've seen this, I have to think that maybe I was influenced by that (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. movie. So, you know, the villagers, uh, having seen this, they approach Yul Brenner and talk him into helping them. And he decides he's going to need seven people, and this is— you know, all pretty much straight out of Seven Samurai. And the first one is, uh, the show. so they basically put out the words that they're looking to hire people, although it's for, it's for almost nothing. Right. I mean, it's six weeks of work for 20 bucks, which even at the time was not, you know, not huge as this, huge. this is where I think Kilburn says that his bullets are going to cost more than the 20 bucks.
1: Uh, I think they say they're going to need six. I don't think they're reckoning on the, uh, that may be true
0: because the uh, I don't yeah, I don't recall the exact number he said, and they don't and they set off with six, as we'll see, just which they did also in, yeah. the, in the original. So the first guy who shows up is an old friend of Yul Brenner's named Harry Luck. And it's interesting because this also mirrors seven samurai, but there's a big difference in the character, and, and I actually appreciate kind of how they juggled the characters around here. This guy is his old friend, but he's also Pretty greedy. I mean, the entire film, he's just trying. He, the only reason he takes it is he doesn't think that it's twenty dollars. He thinks that Yul Brenner must have a line on some big, you know, stash or or something. They're going to get out of this, so he's confident.
1: Yeah, there. and we see all through the rest of the movie, we'll see him sort of casually broaching the subject with the villagers, like, "So, what happened to that old gold mine up in the hills?" <laughs> yeah. Stuff like
0: that. <laughs> yeah, so it's not the same because this character, the the good friend or the old friend in Seven Samurai, he was both honorable and and he provided a lot of like strategic thinking and stuff, right? Where where this guy does not. That's more that that part has been moved to the Steve McQueen character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: this guy, your notes say that Brad Dexter is the actor who played mm-hmm. him. He's got a real familiar face, but the name Brad Dexter doesn't ring any bells at all.
0: He did me. some Westerns and stuff, and then he was a producer. So, yeah, I, huh. I don't know. Uh, uh, he d- it I was think fun he d- in this. I yeah, think. he does a fine job, yeah. Next up, we have Charles Bronson. They, you know, they I, come upon him. face. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> come upon him, you know, uh, Behind the guy's house, chopping wood, you know, with an axe. And this is right out of Seven Samurai, right? They have the chopping wood guy and everything. Yeah. And uh he normally gets paid lots of money for the stuff he does, but he's kind of hard up right now. so
1: yeah, He says 20 bucks sounds like a lot right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Then um, we get James Coburn, and I love this one because—and I've been thinking, you know— I'll talk about my reaction this time to watching it. Because I saw this, I've seen it obviously in the past, but I saw it not that long ago. Maybe mm. a year or two ago or something, I don't know. So I, I hadn't seen it in close connection to Seven Samurai. You know, I'd seen Seven Samurai a long time ago. This is one of those areas where I appreciate the film and the character more because I've seen Seven Samurai. So James Coburn is playing the, the, the quiet expert guy. And he was, mm, he, yeah. he, in Seven Samurai, this guy was amazing, right? I mean... He mm. just constantly practiced and focused and, and, you know, could do great things. And so Coburn, as we kind of figure out, it's not clear at first. You kind of figure out what's going on. Some guy is pushing Coburn to, to prove to him something he's heard. And it turns out, if you they never explicitly say it, but if you understand as you watch, what he's heard is that Coburn is so fast with a knife that he can beat a, a person with a gun.
1: Mm, okay, I didn't I didn't pick up on that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, knew, I noticed he threw the knife.
0: Right. But, so, know. so the guy's going like, "Oh, my friends say this. You got to prove it to me." Yeah, I think it would have helped if they'd put a line or two in that was a little more explicit about that. But yeah, it maybe they had to cut it or something. Who knows? But uh, so you know, they do a um, a, you know, kind of a test or run where the guy pulls his gun to and shoots a. Mug that Coburn had sitting next to him, and Coburn pulls the knife and puts it in t- and throws it into a, a phone pole that's standing there. Or something not a phone pole, probably, but a, at that time, but a telegraph, telegraph pole. pole. Or yeah, the guy challenging him was like, "Oh, I won!" You know, I was faster. And he's like, "No, you didn't win." And most of the other people watching are saying he didn't win, and he's insistent that he did win. And and then he, you know, gets really pissed off and forces Coburn into. Doing a real duel, and this is—if you—it's one of the things where this is completely different in terms of what they're doing, but they—they're totally reusing Seven Samurai because remember they were—they mm-hmm. were sparring with like wooden swords or something.
1: Right, right, and the guy is just trying to get the other guy to blow off.
0: Right, it's the same thing but where he's he like, "No, I would have killed you," and he's like, "No, no, no," and so then they end up having a real duel, and so it's really this, except except they just switched around what they were doing. But that was pretty clever, right? Yeah, yeah it was handled.
1: Yeah, overall, I've, the the movie had a whole lot of points of similarity. There there are there are some differences that I spotted, and I'm sure
0: we'll talk about some of those. But uh, but
1: in many ways, it does follow the movie
0: uh, pretty closely. Coburn had watched Seven Samurai 15 times and it was one of his favorite films. Uh-huh. Now, and Seven Samurai had only come out, you know, like three years earlier. Or so, and at the time, to watch something 15 times, you had to go to a theater and do that, right? So, that's a lot of commitment. Right.
1: Although, being a movie star, he might have access to actually get the mo- movie on reel to reel. That, that was possible. It
0: yep. Uh, then we, you know, we get Chico and this is. Played by a German actor named Horst Buschels. Buschels, I don't know how to say it exactly.
1: something like that. Who had
0: a good career, but I'm not really familiar with him. So instead of trying to say that German name, I'll just call him Chico. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, This is really interesting because one of the things that they did was, you know, they did move around stuff with the characters. So he plays, he basically combines two characters from Seven Samurai. The young, inexperienced guy that, you know, that the leader doesn't want to hire up front because he doesn't want him to get hurt, who then falls in love with one of the villagers. Mm-hmm. And he's playing Toshiro Mufune's role as the guy who, you know, eagerly wants to join and is getting drunk and, is and you know, does kind of random things and, and goes on rants and all this. So So they put those two characters yeah. together, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. As I remember it, I could be wrong, but as I remember it, I think Mafune's character was a more, slightly at least, slightly more endearing drunk. Where this guy is just an obnoxious drunk.
0: <laughs> uh, I guess it's in the eye of the beholder, but that's probably, <laughs> probably true. <laughs> certainly they, uh, you know, they just laughed at him when he was drunk, yeah, and this guy's yeah. yeah. Um, then we get Robert Vaughn in. He's this oh. character is not in the Seven Samurai at all. This is something they completely created for this. It's really kind of weird and interesting.
1: Yeah, he he. Uh, I've seen him in a few roles where he plays a uh, well-dressed guys. You know, he was in uh, Bullet. He was some local politician, like the district attorney or some such thing. And then uh, uh, in Basketball, he was the villain, and he <laughs> always had nice suits there.
0: I'm pretty sure I didn't look it up to verify, but I believe he was in the TV show *The Wild Wild West*, which was um ah something be. I enjoyed when I was a kid. And yeah, he's he's he plays this character who's as you say always very well dressed, uh, and not dressed as a cowboy like everyone else is. Mm-hmm. You know, he has like a bow tie or some equivalent. And, you know, yeah, it's like
1: a string tie and a nice, uh, nice vest. And, yeah.
0: you know, very, very. And he always cr- has these uh, squared away thick black uh, leather gloves on. And he's, you know, you get the impression he might be like a germaphobe or something. Like he doesn't want to mm, touch anybody. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, don't do anything to sort of call that out. But it's just sort of, you know. He's very one phrase sometimes used affected, right? He just everything he does is a certain intentionality to it and he's also a coward, <laughs> you know, he's, so he spends most of the movie just, you know, making sure no one can see him so he's not going to get shot. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he's on the run and he's done some kind of crime and so he's just he's, you know, joining this cuz it gives him some way to be out of um out of sight
1: (laughs) yeah and i think if if i remember right there was an impression that he might have known uh brenner or steve McQueen's character uh previously
0: yeah i think he he knew Ewell brenner because he really doesn't have an introduction scene he just shows up waiting in yule brenner's room unlike the others there's no like sequence or anything he's just there and says i'm going to join you and you know that's kind of it so we have, well, we describe seven people, but reality is, you know, as as in Seven Samurai, they're rejecting Chico. You know, he really wants to, to be part of it. And Yul Brynner sort of humiliates him because they're in like a bar or something. And, he, you know, he's bugging Yul Brynner to let him join. And Yul Brynner is like, well, you got to – he has Chico clap his hands together as fast as he can. And he's able to draw his gun and get it between his hands before he can – you know, get them together, right? And he right. then he then challenges Chico to do this to him, and he starts clapping his hands, and 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 Chico doesn't even bother. Like he knows he's he can't do this, right? And he's yeah, yeah. he's very humiliated and leaves, and then gets drunk, and you know, <laughs> go through that whole thing. So they're like, "Screw you!" You know, we're not going to add you to the group, and they head off and. Because yeah, right out of Seven Samurai, you know, they kind of go into the wilderness and um, as they're traveling, they're seeing that Chico is following them. And and this is what Toshirô Mifune did in Seven Samurai. Eventually, they think that he's given up because they don't see him. But it turns out actually he's managed to get ahead of them. Then he yeah. catches fish with his bare hands, which I'm gonna say, oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's right out of Seven Samurai. <laughs> oh yeah. So this, uh, the fact that he could get ahead of them um, and catch these fish and stuff clearly impresses Brenner. but they don't yeah. officially add him at this point.
1: Yeah, but they but they let him tag along with their group instead of uh, watching them from a distance.
0: Right. So they get to the village. And again, we have the same thing, which is that everybody has vanished. No one is there to greet them. <laughs> you know, they're all scared of them. And this is where Chico <laughs> rings the um, the town bell. Uh, and, yeah, the old church bell there. Yep. Which is the emergency signal. So everyone comes running. And then Chico, you know, berates them all for not being there to to greet them and for being scared of them. And uh, again, right out of seven samurai and Yul Brenner says, and now we have seven. (laughs) So this is the (laughs) point where they kind of decide he's one of them here. We start to have differences because, you know, it is a much shorter film. Mm -hmm. They can't do everything. So, and also the nature of the location is different, right? In seven samurai, the village, well, it's a small village in terms of number of people and everything. It covers a lot of land. And they spend a lot of time walking around, you know, the the leader and, and his friend and, and such, walking around to all the areas of the village and, you know, looking at a map and figuring out how they're going to defend each region and all that. And they don't do that in this movie at all. They just, they just leave that out. And it's a very yeah. small village. I mean, it's literally, you know, movie set size, right? I mean, it's,
1: yeah. But there do seem to be a lot of potential entrances and exits. Sure, you know, it's yeah. not there are a lot of walls around it.
0: Now they sort of make reference to something in Seven Samurai, but they never really use it. Which is, they uh, in this part, which is one of the things they realized when they did the security review, was that there were a bunch of houses they couldn't save. They were outside mm, of the village proper, yeah. and they couldn't save them. One of which is was you know the old man of the villages, right?
1: Who lived in a mill in the Seven Samurai, right? And wait, I don't think we see a mill in this one. No, it's just his house.
0: And they made a you know that was a big contention in the movie, and people were pissed off that you know at them that they wouldn't save some of the houses, and and you know we went through a whole thing with the old man who refuse to leave his house and ends up getting killed in Seven Samurai. And that's not at all what happens here. So they do go to the old man and say, we can't save your house, you need to move. And he says, no, I'm not going to. And then that's it. It never goes anywhere, right? It's your funeral. (laughs) But it isn't, right? He doesn't die. Yeah,
1: unlike the old man in The Seven Samurai ends up paying for staying out of town and uh, this guy comes back at the end. He's, He's fine. And he makes a remark that you know, bullets, uh, they're not going to shoot me. Bullets are expensive. And I thought, oh, that's going to come back and bite him. But no, it didn't. It, <laughs> he, he made it. Good for yep. him.
0: <laughs> so one of the things that happens then, of course, is they this is a classic of any seven samurai inspired thing is the, the, you know, the veterans start training the villagers in how to defend themselves. And they start building up the defenses of the village. They're, you know, repairing walls and uh, putting various little traps in place and all this mm. and that's that's always fun. You get the the montage, you know, <laughs> where you get to see well, all this. I, uh,
1: one thing we don't get in this movie that uh, was was an interesting little twist in Seven Samurai, although it didn't actually end up really going anywhere. Like it didn't just make the heroes ride out of town and say "Go screw yourselves." But uh, you know, they they discovered that the villagers had a trove of old samurai weapons mm-hmm. and armor um which meant that not only had the had the farmers well they hadn't really fought for themselves cuz they pretty much raided a battlefield after everybody was already dead or wounded but basically these samurai that the guys had hired so that in the past they had just indiscriminately robbed from this fallen samurai. Right. Uh, so that soured them a bit for a while, but not enough to make them give up the enterprise.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I think one of the huge differences is that is how the villagers are treated, right? In Seven Samurais, they have some dark secrets. They have a lot of stuff going on. They We have all these sub-stories, like the girl that, in this case, Chico falls in love with her. her father. You know, is very against it, and we have the other guy whose whose wife was stolen by the bandits in Seven Samurai yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all that. And, not, and just and the, you know, the
1: father had actually cut her hair short uh, to make her look more boyish. And this girl we see in this movie, she uh, she still got long long hair.
0: Yeah, and she, we don't never see her father. He's not a part of the story. Hmm. So the, these villagers are much more innocent and positive. There's, you know, other than there is some of that cowardliness of people who want to give in uh, mm-hmm. to the bandits. But but there's none of the other complexities. And I, I think that's just one of the things that, that went out with, you know, cutting down the, the movie time.
1: Oh, sure. Some of the changes are just Hollywood trying to. Panner to the American audience, which tends to like things more upbeat, and more, <laughs> you know, bright and happy and so forth.
0: Now, did you notice the way they made reference to what you mentioned about, you know, the old, uh, the weapons they had from the previous samurai is they, when the scouts come and they end up killing the scouts and taking their guns and stuff, and then they use those guns for the villagers to practice with. And they say, right. And, and when someone says, where will we get guns? He said, the same way you got these from, you know, like the same way you got these from those scouts. So they kind of, that's their equivalent, right? I mean, it's not a deep, dark secret from the past or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Although they, they did the same thing in seven samurai as they took out the bandits, they would take their weapons and gather on our side.
0: Right. So Calvera and his gang, after a bunch of this has been done, come into town. They have no idea what's going on. So they're surprised to meet Yulbrenner and, you know, discovers that there are seven people there to protect them. And, of course, it's silly because they've got dozens and dozens of people. But it turns out, you know, that they're – because of all the stuff they've done, they're in a pretty good position. And there's, you know, there's some fighting. And Calvera realizes that he's got to retreat. So they retreat, although in the process some more of them – Get killed and stuff because they do things. Like, well, there's a point, it's kind of like in The Watchmen, right? When he says, uh, I'm not trapped in here with you, you're trapped in here with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a point where he says, Oh, you know, these walls and stuff, well, they don't do any good if I'm here. And, and Joel Brenner says, Well, they weren't, they aren't here to keep you out. They're here to keep you in. <laughs> <laughs> Which turns out, you know, what he's referencing is they have these like rope uh, net things they've created that they can bring up in front of the horses and stuff which keeps them from being able to leave and then they're able to shoot them before they can leave oh yeah but you know so they get some of the bandits the rest escape you have this period of time where we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next and the Chico character again does one of the things that Toshiro Mifune did in Seven Samurai which is well they're again they're insulting him and kind of saying he doesn't know what he's doing, and you know give it, they ask him they they dump stuff from um, the bandits they've killed on him and tell him that he should give it to someone who actually knows how to use it. Well, when they do that, he gets this idea, and he takes the clothing and the weaponry from the ban- the, the from the bandits, and he puts it on, and he goes to the bandit camp. And sort of integrates himself as a spy and finds out what's going on. And and Tishiro Mufuni had done this in Seven Samurai, not not to a bunch mm-hmm. of people, but to one guy. Right? He came and pretended right, to be a right. This
1: know, one, he actually goes right into the main gathering of them. It was kind of ironic because they're all sitting there talking about, uh, oh, you know, well, we lost Enrico and we lost Rodrigo and we, mm-hmm. lost. yeah. So they knew. Every every name of the guys who died, and yet this guy that they've never seen before, uh, he must yeah. just be the guy they whose name they don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it worked, and he gets back, and now he can tell them that they're definitely going to attack again because some of the villagers think, oh, we scared them off, you know. He said no, nope, they're going to come back, and he actually provides a rational reason here, which said they're starving, you know. Um, so Calvera has got to feed his his troops, right? So they're going to be back. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's another thing, probably by this point in the movie, I think in the Seven Samurai, we would have had that little expedition to the uh, to the outpost where some of the bandits were staying, and they set it on fire, and it turns mm, right. out the guy's wife had been taken there, yeah. and that whole thing is just out the window.
0: Well, it's partially here, right, because this is when they decide to go and surprise them. They know where they are you know, cause he had gone out there and everything. So, so the seven go out to ambush them and they're not there.
1: There's no, you're right. They find no, nobody yeah. where they were expecting to find them.
0: Yeah. So this is, you know, they, they go different ways with this, but we do have this beat here where they go to go, to go after them.
1: Yeah. I guess they do the expedition. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, Without all the other stuff. Yeah. That you mentioned. Uh, so they come back to the village, and it turns out that while they were going after the bandits, the bandits had, had gone back and gotten into the village. And in fact, they had a trader in the village who let them in.
1: And that was the guy, the guy who was the trader, was actually the barkeeper who the bandit had come in to talk to the first time he was hmm. in town. or Or he talked right. to him, but at the time we thought, well, that guy really doesn't. Like this bandit leader, he even insulted him at one point and got the bandit leader's ire right. Up. But uh, that was the same guy who uh who enabled all all this turn here,
0: yeah. So, so they come back and now they're surrounded by the bandits who are you know hiding in the every in the houses and everything. And this is you know, this didn't happen in seven samurai at all. And I think it's it's pretty clever, they fall for the same kind of trick they would pull. Oh, yeah. They're shown to be not perfect, you know, in a way that you don't yeah. really get to see in Seven Samurai. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so Calvera, I mean, he could just have them all killed, but he decides he doesn't right. want to. And he kind of, I mean, you can go by whatever he says or whatever you think, you know. Um, I'm not totally sure. Maybe he just has some respect for them or something.
1: Yeah, he, he thinks they're just basically thieves who are muscling in on his territory. That's the impression I got, you know, because he's telling them, Uh, Go rob banks up in Texas. They let (laughs) Texans do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he lets them go. They take their guns from them until they're out of town and, you know, way out of town and stuff. But he believes that they won't come back. And I think this is a case where, kind of like what you were saying, he thinks they're thieves like him. And so since he wouldn't come back, he thinks they wouldn't come back.
1: Right. One good thing I can say for him is
0: that uh, he
1: did hold up his end of the deal. He said they'd get their guns back after they were out of town. And he actually sent riders to bring them their guns.
0: Yeah, which turned out to be a complete mistake because, of course, they decided to return. (laughs) He should have killed them. I mean, come on. Yeah. Should have sent them the guns, but maybe held on to the bullets. Yeah. (laughs) Now you know they they have a debate on whether to go back, and a lot of them don't want to go back. But you know, Brenner is going, and sort of gets most of them to agree. His his friend Harry, who's who's in it for for the greed, you know, says screw you and goes off. Which reminds me of Han Solo in Star Wars, right? I was you just know. gonna say he <laughs> yeah.
1: ends up coming back in like the morning, yeah. welcome there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so they go back, and they don't. I think it was something that's a little disappointing to me is it's not like they came up with a clever plan or something. They just sort of run in and start shooting. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. The plan was action.
1: That's what they call an the action plan, I guess. <laughs> uh,
0: and so there's a, just a big gunfight. And, you know, when... His friend, Harry Luck, comes back. You know, he's the first one killed. <laughs> so he, he also, he shouldn't have come back. He was right in the first place. <laughs>
1: and Robert Vaughn also ends
0: up dying. Yeah. Uh, in fact, right. I think
1: he ends up, he basically arrives into town and dies instantly.
0: Well, from... no, that was Harry Luck. Uh, Harry Luck oh, died okay. instantly. What happens with Vaughn is, you know, he's he's been a coward this whole time. He's been hiding while the fights are happening. And so finally he does his one heroic thing, you know, he busts into a building and shoots Oh, three. he lets up the prisoner. Yeah, yeah. Three, he shoots three of the bandits that are holding the resistors hostage and the bandits are able to go are the the villagers are able to go out and help and then Vaughn is killed. So he did his one good thing oh, and then yeah. he's killed. And I mean I would argue to me a weakness of the film which in part, comes from cutting down the time, right? Because in Seven Samurai, there's a story and a sequence to each of the people who dies. Mm -hmm. In this, we get to the end, they have their shootout, and it's just like, boom, this guy dies, this guy dies, this guy dies. Okay, we're done with that. And it's like, oh, wait, what? You know, there's no story. There's no, you don't even see who shot him, right? It's not like, oh, some, you know, some bandit that we've seen before who had a grudge on this one guy or whatever. Nope. They're just randomly shot.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, and you know, you know what else? Now that we're talking about it, another thing they left out that was in the Seven Samurai was, uh, we had multiple cases where the guys, the bandits in Seven Samurai would run through the town and they'd do all this stuff like knocking them off their horses and, uh, you know, boxing a man. And, and we get a little bit of that, but it pretty much only happens on one occasion, if mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. right, uh, where we had multiple waves of it in, uh, Seven Samurai. So th- th- that's condensed greatly.
0: Yep. At the end, we have... Well, because some of the characters are changed around, it's a little different, but it's essentially the same three who survive, right? Which is Yul mm-hmm. Brenner, Steve McQueen, and Chico, the young guy. Now, one key difference here is in ah. Seven Samurai, <laughs> the young guy is effectively broken up with by the girl, right? Because she heads out to the fields and sort of is acting in a way that makes it clear that she's a villager and so she's not going to be with him and and the three of them go off in this one he decides to go and be with the girl and be the villager and be a uh you know a farmer again he like Tashiro share had been one of those people and hated them one of the villagers and, and similarly he had been a farmer and he hated the farmers. And now he's sort of going back to his roots and he gets the girl.
1: Yeah. That partly may have been like I said to, to give American audiences Mm. a more cheerful, upbeat ending. And also as we discussed at the time that we watched the seven samurai, that thing where the guy and the girl just kind of go their separate ways and don't lament over it uh, was a, class status kind of thing you know if, if you're a samurai you don't do any more than you have to with the peasant folk you know whereas this guy's just a gun for hire he can do whatever the hell he wants so a little different social dynamic there i guess you'd say
0: mm-hmm. oh we get the same little last dialogue with the old brenner where he's like well the the farmers always win and we always lose <laughs> <laughs> yeah And then they head off into the sunset. So that is the Magnificent Seven. So without doing original research, I'm not clear on how well received it was because Wikipedia says that it was well received by critics and everything at the time. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT says it got mixed reviews at the time by critics. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But it has become a classic. Now, (laughs) one of the things that I had no, no idea of until... They did like three sequels to this, uh, and many of the same actors returned and stuff. And I've never, I mm. had no idea they existed. I've never heard of them. I've never heard anyone mention them. I'm going to guess that, uh, they're probably not worth a whole lot of time, but, uh.
1: Mm. Probably, but you never know. And TV series <laughs> and all
0: that. Yeah. So, well, I feel yeah. like it's. You know, it's probably like one of the the modern series where, oh, you might like the first one and then, you know, they bring in different actors or it goes up the hills. You know, it's like Jaws or something, right? You know, it's like, how how many of them do you like before? Yeah, the
1: the good sequels are fairly rare, but they do exist.
0: So any thoughts here in general about, you know, especially, well, I don't, uh, we didn't say earlier, I forgot it. Had you ever seen it before?
1: Many, many years ago. I mean, it was basically, basically it was new to me this time. So
0: So you can't sort of contrast, but I mean, well, how much do you feel that having watched Seven Samurai, you know, impacted your viewing experience here?
1: Well, it certainly gave me points of comparison, especially since both because we watched it fairly recently and because we spent, you know... Two hours or however long we we spent uh, rehashing it after uh, after we'd both watched it, a lot of the details still came to mind as I was watching this. So I could really, I mean, uh, even you know the stuff that I've been citing throughout our discussion today, you know, I didn't go back and watch Seven Samurai again. I still <laughs> actually somehow remember all that <laughs> from having watched it before. Uh, so that did very much. Uh, inform my viewing of of this i think this on its on its own merits as a as a western it's a fun movie i think i think probably the seven samurai is the better movie of the two <laughs> uh now in fact i wouldn't even say probably i would say uh, the seven samurai is the better movie of the two but this is this is fine in its own right you know it's uh it's i i was very entertained
0: yeah so. Uh, no, I think this is a perfectly good movie. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing wrong with the acting, nothing uh you know, some good writing. But yeah, so I mean seven samurai is on a whole other level, both because of the execution and detail and stuff that Kurosawa did. And of course the length just allowed them to have more depth to so many things yeah. that you're just gonna lose out from here. But uh, but it's not. I mean, yeah. There's nothing embarrassing about it. There's no, and there isn't even any, um, you know, like weird racism or something you know <laughs> that you might expect, uh-huh. except for people who are actually racist. You know? um, yeah,
1: uh, yeah. If anything, it's trying to make a sort of a minor statement against uh, racism.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we had to to come down to the ultimate question, which I occasionally forget to ask: <laughs> Is it uh, <laughs> worth watching for a modern audience? Uh, I'd say it is,
1: it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be one of my all time favorites, but it was fun. I, I don't regret watching it. I, uh, it was, so, I mean, it was literally worth watching for me. So, uh, <laughs> I think a, as yeah. I
0: hinted at, I would say it's actually, so I have seen it once or twice before and I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it much more this time, having seen Seven Samurai. That's not usually how no. it goes, right? Normally, if you see sort of the source material, it kind of reduces your respect for the, mm, the thing that yeah, came You're, after, you're right?
1: constantly, constantly comparing and saying, oh, they screwed this. Yep. Yeah. In this- uh, and I was constantly comparing it, but I didn't really... I didn't have many moments when I thought, ah, they did it a lot better. You know, right. I, I'd just think, well, uh, you know, that's an interesting take on it.
0: Yeah, for me, it it made this more interesting and more in-depth because I could see more of what they were doing and how they were making use of Seventh Samurai, but also that they weren't slavishly following it. They made changes, but they also, hmm. I mean, they really followed the spirit. And someone like James Coburn's character is a great example, right? I mean... He's not the same character as the one in Seven Samurai, but he's really following the spirit of that. Um,
1: yeah, he's the he's the super competent guy you know. that you definitely don't want to be on his bad side.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's worth watching, and even more worth watching if you've recently watched uh, Seven Samurai. So that's one, oh, yeah. my call on that one. Okay, anything else on this before?
1: No, no, it's a fun movie. It's... Um, It's a good movie in its own right. It's, you know, if you can only see one, see the original. But uh, (laughs) if you can see two, watch them both. If you
0: have less than three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. Okay. So next up in our, you know, inspired by Kurosawa, in this case inspired by Seven Samurai, We're watching the 1980 Roger Corman film, Battle Beyond the Stars. So (laughs) going from Kurosawa to Corman is kind of like going from Sublime to, well, a Roger Corman film. (laughs) Uh, I have never seen it. I've always wanted to. It was something that I saw ads for and stuff and, you know, interviews and things when I was a kid. And, and, you know, it came... um, And, of course, we'll talk about this when we do the episode. But it came in 1980 because it was a response to Star Wars. But apparently, you know, he he sort of borrowed the plot from this film. So uh, we'll see how that comes together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: Okay, then. We will see you next week.